ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Scott Show on a Tuesday. Happy to have you with me. We got Jay Walker in studio in the 8 o'clock hour. Looking forward to that. Andrew Juge, analyst, football film guru, one of the guys over at the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Going to join me at 715 Speaking of football, Rage Cajun head football coach Michael Desimo at 745. Her million wide spring game was Saturday. It is in the books. What comes next? What stood out? Where did they stand? What's it look like? We'll get into that. And we got open phone lines for portions of the show today, including right now, 337-269-1077. NBA playing games start tonight. Cleveland and Brooklyn at 6, Clippers and T-Wolves at 8.30 on TNT. Pelicans don't play until tomorrow night, the last of the first slate of playing games when they host the Spurs at 8.30. Looking forward to being at that one. want to start the show with something I, I didn't get into yesterday. I had it on, on a list of things I wanted to talk about, and it just ran out of time. And that was the sad story of Dwayne Haskins' tragic death over the weekend. He was only 24 years old. And, you know, I, I didn't, I, I'm not a Washington football fan. I didn't follow Haskins' career as closely as I do someone that maybe plays for the Saints, right? Or plays at LSU or UL. Haskins, a standout at Ohio State. But it's it's a gut punch, and, and I look, life is precious, and I know that sadly there are deaths every day and tragic deaths of young individuals. And, you know, when it's somebody that is in the spotlight like Dwayne Haskins, it brings with it a, an attention in 2022 that is, um, I think at times, misguided. So for anyone that was paying attention, Adam Schefter of ESPN sent out the the first tweet of Haskins' uh, untimely death. And it read, Dwayne Haskins, a standout at Ohio State before struggling to catch on with Washington and Pittsburgh in the NFL, died this morning when he got hit by a car in South Florida. Per his agent, Cedric Saunders, Haskins would have turned 25 years old on May 3rd. Um, Insensitive... uh, to point out stuff in a tweet about hit struggling in the NFL, really no need for it, didn't make sense. And Schefter ended up deleting it, and he did apologize um, yesterday publicly and and said a lot of other things about Dwayne Haskins, the person, and, and tried to bring a positive spotlight to it, which I guess that's, that's better than nothing. But the, the, the odd thing is, 
On social media, when someone in the spotlight dies, I find that there is a quick rush to find someone that sends out or says something insensitive and then everybody just ripped that person. And I'm not trying to suggest that what Schefter said was fine and it wasn't. And I'm not even going to get into Gil Brand. I mean, good Lord. Somebody stopped giving that old dude a mic. But it's odd, like, the attention should have been on Haskins, the person. And when you're in the spotlight, for whatever you were in the spotlight for, that's part of it, right? Former football player, former Ohio State star. That's, you can point that out. But there should be more, you know, about the person. That should be the attention, the focus. It's sad, right? What 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 was Dwayne Haskins like? And there were there were some other members of the media and 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 other you know individuals on social media that were doing that, but that was not getting the attention. The attention was everyone just pile on Schefter. Again, I'm not defending Schefter. It was insensitive what he wrote, but it's unfortunate that a lot of the attention just gets put on what someone said after someone died instead of the actual person that died. And it's not, I mean, I I feel like it's not uncommon. I feel like this happens. Especially when it's to someone in the world of sports. Honestly. And the guy was very active in charity work, did more than what was required of, you know, players for the Steelers. He was only 24, was a husband, a son. I mean, it was very, very sad. Very sad, man. And I, I don't need to spend a ton of time on it. But I did want to point that out. You know, when I got a text on Saturday and someone had shown it a tweet, it was like, can you believe what Schefter said? I hadn't even heard that Haskins had passed away yet. And I was like, man, the focus really should, I mean, it's messed up what he said. And he got raked over the coals and people piled on. And okay, Schefter's done some pretty dumb stuff before. I'm not even saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm just, unfortunately, that got more attention Saturday for like five hours than the actual tragic, sad death of Dwayne Haskins and what kind of person Dwayne was. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. This is The Great Scott Show. Russell Westbrook yesterday. Los Angeles Lakers guard who has a $47 million contract next year, last year of his deal, with a player option, meaning he could opt out if he wants and hits free agency. But $47 million, he didn't say whether or not he'd make the the, the decision to opt in. But he was asked about a number of things which stood out including Frank Vogel, who the Lakers fired yesterday, despite the fact that 
Adrian Wojnarowski one minute after their last game of the season tweeted that Vogel would, that Vogel would be fired, but they hadn't told him yet. That's that's a good way to treat somebody eighteen months after they were the coach of a championship team. But hey, it's the Lakers. But Westbrook said he didn't know what the issue was between him and Vogel. They just never connected. Well, Westbrook didn't connect on a lot of shots. It just it wasn't a shock that the fit didn't work. And Westbrook talked about the different styles of he and James and Davis. Quote, it's a combination of where we are on the floor, positioning, fit and challenge, trial, trial and error, being able to play on the floor with each other, finding ways to be able to utilize us to the best of our abilities. Yeah, that was a problem, Russ. Felt like it was going to be before. But the other aspect of what Russ said, which is worth pointing out, and he did point out that he would, did not have his best season. Which isn't a shock to anyone. He said that when LeBron and AD said they just need to let Russ be Russ, that it was disingenuous. He said it was disingenuous. Yeah, they said it, but that wasn't true. And his point was, look, you want me to play the game that works for me? It doesn't fit well with what you guys do. And LeBron swore in yesterday that he wouldn't be involved in front office decisions this time. We'll, we'll see. Bad season for the Lakers, who don't have a lot of draft capital, much of any and who are hoping that Russ opts out, but I doubt it. I mean, $47 million. $47 million. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Cleveland and Brooklyn tonight. Cleveland doesn't have their all-star center. I just don't see how you beat the Nets. Nets are in a play-in, but they have Kevin Durant. I mean, they have Kevin Durant. Without Jared Allen... The all-star center for the Cavs, it's going to be awfully tough. Clippers, T-Wolves, I like Minnesota. Pat Beverly is going to be on one tonight. Going up against Paul George, they can say, oh, it's not about Pat, but Pat Beverly and Paul George. It will be tonight. I think the Clippers fall, and then their host uh, Friday night, late, will host the winner of San Antonio New Orleans tomorrow. Like the Hawks against the Hornets tomorrow, uh, and then the Hawks taking on Cleveland for that eight spot. Playoffs are here. Playoffs are here. Mentioned the Lakers don't have any draft capital. What are the Saints going to do with their draft capital? What is this talk about them moving up in a draft to take a quarterback? What? You've already given up enough. Are you kidding me? Who knows what to believe? What are the Saints going to do? Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, film guru. Not like cinema film, but like football film. Although, I don't know. I don't know. How, what kind of movies is Juge into? We're going to talk to Andrew Juge next. We're going to talk to Michael Desermo at 745. Jay Walker will be in at 8. 
We'll talk Diamond Sports. We will induct a new song into the Terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame. Hadn't talked to Jay in a few weeks. Looking forward to it. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. He peaked athletically in the seventh grade. Do you know what a hero you are to me? I presume you're referring to my four touchdowns in one game. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports. into the great scott show 1033 on the fm 1420 on the am streaming worldwide via the espn lafayette app if you're listening to us via the stream it is brought to you by champagne's market on the oil center champagne's going the extra mile in threes by beastie boys love that tune Andrew Juge, our guest now here to talk about what the saints they have three picks in the top 50 what are they going to do with it Everybody's got a strong opinion. I I have no idea. That's what I tell her. What are they going to do? What are they gonna, I don't know. I don't know. Juge, good morning. What are the Saints going to do with those those three picks in the top 50? Listen, your guess is as good as mine, but uh, look, I, I think it's all over the place. And, and here's the thing. It's really difficult to know where they're going to go. When you've got 15 picks ahead of them and, you know, they're reacting to what happens ahead. So, you know, a lot of this is out of their control, and, I, you know, you're at the mercy of the picks that happen ahead of you. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they react because I see it kind of two ways. Number one, I, I think in a perfect world, they'd love to get a tackle. They'd love to get a receiver and maybe an elite defensive player, potentially a quarterback. You know, those are the things that are out there. But, of course, they react to their board. And if a guy like Jordan Davis or a guy like Hamilton falls to them at 16, huh. uh, unlikely, I know. But, you know, that may be a guy they have to pounce on. If Jordan Davis were to fall, I don't even care why. Just do it. Just run up to the podium with just do it. Just, oh, well, you have detail. I don't care. If that dude were to actually, that guy is an absolute freak. But, you know, I, I see these, I just see so many rumors. And, you know, I, I, for me to say I don't know, I don't do that every year. Not that every, Not that anyone ever truly knows, but... My thing is, like, Juge, I was talking to, to, to Ralph about this in the past. Sean Payton was there for so long, and he had his, not just his fingerprints. I mean, he was hands-on with everything. It was He got to run the show. He had autonomy. That was not a secret, right? He wanted a guy. He got a guy. He wanted to move up. They moved up. He wanted to stay put. They stayed put. I mean, Sean Payton was the one making the calls. And so when somebody's the the guy running the show for so long... You, you know, they begin to have trends. They begin to do things that at least can lead you in a direction of an educated guess as to what they might do. I, he's gone. Like, I don't know 
Well, oh, why did the Saints move up? Well, Licky Luma says they really like this draft. Well, other pundits say they don't. Like, because of the unknown, we just don't have any kind of history with the Dennis Allen regime since it just started to draw from. So I don't, you know, is it is the best player available? Is it a is it definitely a quarterback if if Willis or Pickett is there? People keep asking me these things and they get annoyed, Andrew, but all I can say is I don't know. I could tell you something, but it would be a complete guess and not an educated one. Right. Well, I think, look, I, I, first of all, if, this team is going to take on the personality of Dennis Allen. And, and to, to your point, I, to some degree, we don't really know what his personality is. We, we know a little bit, obviously. We know he likes to be aggressive as a defensive play caller, but uh, he hasn't really interviewed enough. He hasn't. We don't have a history of seeing his picks like we do with Sean Payton, obviously. And so I, I do think on some level it's going to be a little different um, in terms of just the approach. I, I've been told that they haven't ruled out the possibility of trading down. Now, listen, I'll believe trading down when I see it because I've watched Sean Payton for over 16 years, basically never trade down once and always trade up. But it's possible that they will have a change in philosophy. I kind of look at it like this. You know, Sean Payton was a guy that was very um, temperamental. I mean, he was, he was, he went with his gut a lot, you know, and I think a lot of times, he would lock in on a guy, and when he decided he wanted a player, he, he would try to move heaven and earth to get him. You know, and so that, 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 he was always going to be aggressive, and we saw that in his play calling. We saw that in the Super Bowl when he kicked an onside kick. You know, Sean Payton was the kind of guy to go for things. And if he, if he believed in things, and look, he, no stone left unturned. I mean, he, he was a guy that the devil's in the details, very focused, very uh, studious. He would take the time to review the tape, take the time to do the studying. But at the end of the day, so it was an educated guess, but at the end of the day, he wasn't afraid to swing for the fences. And I think Jeff Ireland, when he joined the Saints, it's well known that he kind of came in and tried to preach temperance and tried to preach being more patient in the draft, waiting for things to come to them. I think Sean Payton has had the upper hand on Jeff Ireland. I think he's maybe been a good counterbalance, uh, but he hasn't big a big enough. He hasn't been a big enough voice to maybe influence the way he would want to. And so you wonder now that Sean Payton's out of the building, does Mickey Loomis maybe insert himself more into the discussion? Does he lean a little bit more on Jeff Ireland? Does Jeff Ireland have a bigger voice with Sean Payton gone? Is it more of a collaborative effort? Of course, Dennis Allen is going to have a voice too. Uh, But I think it will be maybe a little bit more collaborative, whereas at times, I think in the draft, Sean Payton would get his way. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Andrew Juge, our guest, at Andrew Juge on Twitter. You can hear him on the Saints Happy Hour podcast. I haven't listened to uh, the big show yet, um, but um, I, I, I usually make time each week, and uh, I saw the, the headline for it, so I know there's a lot of draft talk there. And, you know, on one hand, I, when was the last time, Juge, you would – I mean, Ramchek and – in Lattimore, the last time they had two first-round picks, and I think one of them being so late. Prior to that, it was the Stephon Anthony draft, which didn't work out. You had a year where you moved up and and took, you know, Jonathan Sullivan when you had two spots, kind of where you have them right now. Uh, it's it's a mixed history of when they have multiple firsts, but I think there's definitely an increase in the interest level for the. There's going to be interest in the draft every year, but when they don't have a first-round pick, it's like. It's it's so, I don't know. Look, they got Eric McCoy, 
right? The, the last time they didn't have a first round pick, great draft pick, but there's there's no sizzle, right? The attention is on those first round picks regardless, every year, no matter what. And when they first made the trade with Philly, my first reaction was, "Why? Like, what are you doing?" And you know, I, I guess I was I was ne- I admitted I was negative, and then I took a step back after a day or two. I'm like, listen. If they hit on both picks, it won't matter. If they hit on both. But if they miss on one of the two, I think fans are always going to hold it over. I'm like, well, the one that you hit on, you could have had anyway, which that'll just be an assumption, right? I mean, who knows? But they're always going to just ride with that theory. This is, considering where this franchise is right now, Andrew, where do you rank the importance of this draft, right? Maybe in comparisons to, to, to drafts of the past, this isn't a team that has the depth they've had, right? The last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It just it feels like, boy, in terms of important drafts, this is one of the more important ones maybe in the team's history. And if they strike out, it could set them back possibly for years. If they hit on it, especially with those those two first rounders and then 49th overall and then four in the top 98, they hit on those, it, it could propel this team to being a contender in the NFC South. It just it it feels Every year it's important, but this one feels more important than most. And maybe maybe I'm just projecting. I don't know. But it, it just feels like a moment right now for the Saints where they have to nail this. Well, yeah, Ralph said it last night, and we teased him a little bit and said he was a prisoner of the moment. But I, 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 uh, Who, Ralph? I agree no. with him. Oh, no, not yeah, that. Yeah, I know, I know. Hard <laughs> to believe. Shocking, I know. Uh, but look, I... In my years of doing the podcast, and uh, I'm going, I think, on, gosh, <laughs> over 10 years for sure, I have called a draft of the Saints a fork in the road twice before. Um, once was in 2017, and obviously the fork that they took that year was a significant one that allowed them to compete for a really long time. And that, that was a, a draft where, as you mentioned, they had two first-round picks. They turned that into Lattimore and Ramchek, pretty significant. Uh, on top of that, you know, they get Marcus Williams in the second round. They get Alvin Kamara in the third round. So we, we know that that draft class is maybe one of the greatest in NFL history, all teams, you know. And uh, I look at this as another fork in the road, partially because they have two first-round picks, partially because they don't have a first-round pick next year. But I think as you look at that trade and as you look at how this draft sets up for them, and, and we've talked about, you know, the NFC being weaker this year and the ability to compete, even if your roster is maybe not quite as good. So I think the Saints have a chance at a a wild card. But look, this trade to get 16 and 19 makes a lot of sense if you're picking in the 20s next year. So I, I look at it like this. This year's draft, they either need to make the playoffs, in which case this trade is a success, or they need to draft a quarterback that sets them up for the future. And if, if one of those two, and I think losing could be justified where like, maybe you have a, you lose a top 10 pick or, you know, a pick that's like 12 overall next year and you don't have it, but you've got your quarterback of the future. I, I think you could stomach that. What I think would make this trade, Scott, an unmitigated disaster is if they don't make the playoffs this year, so we're talking about a top 15 pick, and they don't have a quarterback from it, or they don't have a quarterback that's the quarterback of the future. I think, I think if, one, if one of those two things happens in this trade, is an absolute disaster. And so there's a lot of pressure on the Saints 
to nail these two picks. And whether it's a quarterback or not, if it's not, then this team has to be successful and it has to compete in the now. And I believe that they can. Uh, but, again, it's going to come down to how the board falls to them. Uh, you know, there's a couple of players. I mean, I know they want to tackle. I think you have to keep an eye on Chris Olave. Uh, I know that's a guy they like a lot, the receiver. But this is Dennis Allen's team. And at the end of the day, again, if a good defensive player falls to them and he, he has a chance to turn what's already a very good defense into maybe a great one, I don't think he's going to bat an eye. No. And so I think we have to be realistic that the def- the head coach is defensive. And if he gets a guy that he feels is a game changer on that side of the ball, he'll probably take him. ESPN Lafayette is uh, one of our listeners listening. Clark emailed me. Uh, Scott at ESPNLafayette.com if anybody wants to check in. Or at ESPN Lafayette is the Twitter handle. He says, Scott, you keep saying you don't know about Dennis Allen. Who did he draft when he was with Oakland? Well, I, I'm glad you asked that, Clark. I, I look at this a few ways, but to give you the answer, it was Khalil Mack, Amari Cooper, and Carl Joseph. Those were the first-round picks. Now, two of those guys people know. For those that don't know, Carl Joseph is a backup in Pittsburgh right now. He didn't work out for Oakland. But back, I, it, it was commonly known, Juge, that like back when Derek, Derek Carr, too, right? Um, I Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, yes, yes. But it was my point is it was commonly known back then – um, that Al Davis was kind of running things, especially like he, you know, I mean, the, the stories of him, um, you know, calling from the top sometimes for play calls. I mean, he was, he was all over it, but yes, Derek Carr was a second round. I mean, 2014, you get, you get Khalil Mack and Derek Carr. That's pretty good. If Dennis Allen has a draft like that one, like his first one in Oakland, I would say that uh, that's the job well done because you have a guy that's still the quarterback. And while Khalil Mack is now in L.A. with the Chargers, um, you know, he was great for him, and they turned that into multiple first-round picks when they traded him. So anything like that 2014 draft, I think it, I think it works out pretty good for the Saints. Now those players, only, you know, one of the ones I mentioned in Carr is still with the team. But we know the names, we know the talent, and you get something like that, I would say, yeah, you, you knocked it out of the park. You need impact players, and you get some on rookie deals. That is about as, as I think, I don't know if they're going quarterback, Juge, but if you have a franchise caliber quarterback on a rookie contract, there is no more valuable contract in American sports. There's none because it's the most important position. Once you get the second contract, it is a large part of the cap. And I know Saints fans like to say the cap's a myth. Well, it's not the myth, but it's also not the hell that others make it out to be. There's, there's, it's somewhere in between. But my question is, what chances do you give them of taking a quarterback in this draft with one of those two first-round picks? Well, yeah, to elaborate on your point, I, I think you have to look at the way things are set up right now for the Saints. They have two first-round picks this year. Uh, They'll obviously have those guys under five-year deals, assuming they pick up that fifth-year option, right? Two years from now, Jameis Winston, his contract will be up. At that point, and we've already seen signs that the Saints are trying to start to fix their cap situation. Uh, They let Teron Armstead walk. They went ahead and they, they eat that $12 million in dead money this year, which will come off the books. Uh, they let Marcus Williams walk, so they don't make that investment. And right now, when you look at this team, cap-wise, Jameis Winston in two years will be off the books. 
the cap is expected to go up to $250 million. And so in a perfect world, you draft a left tackle and a quarterback. Those are two positions that are known to be the most expensive in the league. Bingo. And you have them on rookie deals. And let's say this, let's just say hypothetically the Saints nail these picks at 16 and 19, and they get a Pro Bowl quarterback and a Pro Bowl left tackle out of it. If they hit on that level, then you're talking about two years from now having a starting quarterback and a starting left tackle on rookie deals that you're not spending much money for, a cap that inflates to $250 million, and now think about the money that you can spend around them to build a team to support them. And I feel like that is the best-case scenario for most teams in the league, to, to have something play out like that. So I do think that is set up for the Saints. Now, the bad news is I don't think this is a great quarterback class, and I don't know that you're going to get a Pro Bowl quarterback at pick 16 or 19 in this draft. It, it's it's very uncertain at best. And so that's the rub here. And, and so maybe the Saints don't go quarterback. If they do, they have to be sure. You know, it's interesting. I was told Sean Payton loved Kenny Pickett, was a huge fan, and, you know, there was a good chance the Saints probably would have picked him if he was still there. Uh, I, I'm told the interest in Kenny Pickett has cooled significantly since Sean's not in the building anymore. And so – whether they pick him or not, is he available at 16? That all remains to be seen. I, I think quarterback is always we, – we talk about quarterback in the draft. Is, it it kind of runs parallel to all the other positions, but it's kind of its own separate draft. But they happen kind of together. So it's always a weird thing. And, and when you look at Carolina picking at six and Atlanta picking at eight, those are candidates. And will they be smart and pick the best player available? Because if they do, I believe it won't be quarterbacks. Or do they kind of panic pick at quarterback? And if they do that, and all of a sudden Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, let's say, are top 10 picks, at that point I think you could see the Steelers start to panic, maybe try to move up and get Desmond Ritter. And then all of a sudden you've got maybe four, five quarterbacks that go in the first round. Whereas I think if – Teams play maybe more straight up to their board. You see some mock drafts where no quarterback is taken until 20 or 18. And in a scenario like that, I think teams would maybe be more patient and you might get a pretty good one in the second round. So uh, mock drafts right now with the quarterbacks are all over the place. And I think that is one of the most difficult things to project right now with this draft. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Andrew Juge is our guest. Um, Matt Corral, if he's there at, say, 49 and the Saints are sitting there in the second round, is that an option in your mind? You know, Matt Corral and Sam Howell, I kind of view similarly in the sense that absolutely under no circumstance would I draft them in the first round. And that's just my opinion. You know, look, I think six-foot quarterbacks and highly scripted offenses, could they be good? Yes, they have talent. I think in Matt Corral's case in particular, uh, he, so many plays made with his feet. He doesn't have the frame, I think, to take the hits in the NFL. And, and quite frankly, whereas I think Kenny Pickett is a little bit closer to Taysom Hill in terms of explosiveness, and I think he can make plays with his with feet at the NFL level, I worry that Matt Corral, a lot of these plays that you see him make in college, the defensive ends, the edge players in the NFL are more explosive, and they chase him down on, on some of that tape. So with Matt Corral, I do think he has a quick release. I do think he has ability as a quarterback uh i would not take him in the first round i would not take sam howell 
completely different story in the second round. And, and I think that's the thing. You have to have value on these players. You have to evaluate them. And at some point in the draft, you hit a place where it's acceptable to take them. Because, the, you know, at that point, the risk versus reward, where they're slotted, it becomes more palatable. And I think with Corral and Howell both, I think picking them in the second round, if you feel good about your first two picks and you feel like you've addressed needs, then I'm, I would absolutely be in support of that. Now, they, they would have to fall there uh, for the Saints to be able to take them, but I, I think that starts to make a lot more sense in the second round, yes. Andrew Juge is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Andrew, uh, Andrew Juge, that's J-U-G-E, and uh, check out all his stuff over at the Saints Happy Hour podcast, and if you're a Patreon during the season, some film study. Do you do, like, I know you, 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 you look at the film for Saints games, right? And you grade it out and you give your grades. Before the draft, do you ever just take a look at some film or is it just, is it too overwhelming? Is there just too much to unpack? I do, yeah. Um, you know, listen, we talk about the r- r- relative athletic score, the RAS, and you know, traditionally the Saints don't pick a guy under eight. Uh, very rarely. I think of the 15 players they've drafted since 2019, uh, 12 have had a RAS of eight or above, uh, 12 out of 15, and the other three had seven or above. So uh, all 15 players had a RAS score of seven or above. It's out of 10, by the way. They just don't take guys that are under seven. And so, quite frankly, I don't really watch tape of guys that have a RAS under eight because I know that it's highly unlikely the Saints are going to take them. Um, and so I know they just they've prioritized drafting highly athletic players. That's kind of the barometer. That's the um, that's the scale, if you will. And then once you're in, if you're above those numbers, then I think they prioritize the tape. So I think that's when it starts to make more sense to watch it. Uh, I mean, my gosh, we we were watching Jordan Davis tape last night on the show, yeah. and it is he's sick. It is like it's like a horror film. I mean, it, it's it's literally just him mauling guy after guy. I mean, it's almost it's almost comical at times, Scott, to see SEC offensive linemen, no less, try to block this guy. And uh, I mean, we've seen what Aaron Donald's done in the league. This guy is bigger, he's faster, he he's just as quick despite his size. He's just as athletic. And uh, again, like if he falls to sixteen, I think you have to do it. And uh, so we'll see. It's interesting. I mean, there's a number of guys on tape that look really good. Chris Olave is another one. I know the Saints are high on him. He's not a guy that's going to make a lot of plays after the catch just because he's, he's, uh, he's kind of wiry, smaller frame. Uh, but my gosh, I mean, such a quick twitch player, cuts on a dime, runs terrific routes, great hands. Uh, that's what this receiver core needs right now. They have guys that can make plays after the catch. Uh, Traquan Smith is pretty good at that. Michael Thomas is good at that. What they need is a guy that can run routes and catch a ball. And has you know the ability to stretch the field, so that's a guy in the first round. I think, as I look at it right now, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think another guy that they would love to see drop to sixteen is Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. Uh, good left tackle. Uh, I think that would be a great Tron Armstead replacement. Terrific in pass protection. Uh, so that's another guy they'll look at if they get lucky enough to see him at sixteen. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticketed sports. Andrew Juge has been our guest. Check out the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Check out Juge's stuff over there as well for the Patreons. And uh, give him a follow on Twitter at Andrew Juge. Always good talking ball with you, Andrew. I appreciate you taking the time this morning, man. Um, 
it's my understanding you you took a trip was it was it to the Bahamas last week and then you had Ralph hitting you up and bothering you you can't give that you can't let that guy bother you on vacation yeah look uh Ralph uh, finds his way to infiltrate infiltrate his way into my life uh no matter where I am you know that's, that's part of the deal and so uh I, I agree with you uh but you know I it's tough to resist. Look, when you get a draft trade like this, look, I'm in the Bahamas. I'm trying to drink a Mai Tai. I'm trying to chill out and, and try to just unwind and unplug for a week. Uh, and then the Saints drop this draft trade. I mean, how, how was I not supposed to? You know, the, the bat signal is up and, you know, the alarm bells go off. That's commitment right there. Andrew Juge has been our guest. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again. And uh, um, I know with the draft coming up, you guys will have plenty of content over there. So, Look forward to listening, reading, all that good stuff, and we'll, we'll talk to you again in the future, buddy. Looking forward to it, man. 16 days till the draft. There it is. Andrew Juge has been our guest. This is the great Scott Show. Up next from Pro to College, Raging Cajun football coach Michael Desermo joins me after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. <laughs> Jay Walker will be in studio with me next hour. But joining me now, the head coach of Louisiana Raging Cajun Football, Coach Michael Desimo. Good morning, Coach. How's life? How are you? Good morning, Scott. Everything's good, man. Sorry, awesome. sorry to keep everybody waiting for, for Jay Walker. I know that's uh, that's always a good one right there. <laughs> he, um, Yeah, we, we like to get together an hour a week and just kind of slip back into old times and uh, give each other grief and uh, just kind of bicker at one another and listen to awful music and, you know, talk Cajun sports, of course. And I wanted to have you on to get your thoughts. You know, we, we heard you right after the game, uh, the Vermilion and White Spring game. But now that you've kind of had more time to process it and look back, what's your overall feeling about how the spring went? Not just Saturday, but Overall, is there something you're, you're you're most high about? Is there something you feel like, man, I wish we had had more time for this? How much have you thought about, I guess, the the not just the game, but all of all of spring? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I think you know you're constantly trying to reflect on um, you're constantly trying to reflect on you know did, did you get the questions answered that you wanted? Um, you know, as a staff, did you put guys in position to compete? Um, and and try to figure out some of those things. I mean, obviously, right, there was a lot of uh, question marks this year with the number of, uh, I guess, established players we had that are no longer here. So, you know, as I said from the very beginning, we always felt really good about the young guys we have coming up, but you don't you don't really know till you know, right? So um, I think our coaches did a, did a heck of a job letting those guys compete and get reps. And, um, you know, we, we had a veteran team, so – for us, it wasn't so much about the older guys who have played tons of snaps here and seeing them. It was really more about, you know, let's be smart. We know what, you know, Eric Garrett can do. Let's 
let some of these young corners, let's let Caleb Anderson and, and, uh, and Jalen Clark and Amir McDaniel, like let's let them get some more reps. So, you know, there was a lot of really good uh, strategic planning by the coaching staff, and, and those guys did a hell of a heck of a job um, putting them in position to compete. Um, a lot of those things that, you know, we felt good about, we got answered, and, and you know, coming out of it, you feel like you've, you've got some guys in places that are going to be good players. So, um, you know, really pleased with the competition this spring. Um, you know, certainly in the spring game, defensively, you know, it's always a double-edged sword when you scrimmage yourself, right? Um, so, you, you know, you're always on both ends of it. The defense did a phenomenal job of creating and forcing negative plays. And offensively, you can't have negative plays. You know, you can't get behind the sticks. In this game, I mean, playing third and long, I mean, that that's, you know, those those down distances are, are not, you know, not very favorable with all the things defenses do today. So, you know, the negative plays, I think, offensively, were, were something that was a little bit glaring, uh, whether that be sacks, negative runs, um, you know, a couple penalties, but it was pretty clean. Um, and then defensively, you know, you're fired up to see it, man. They're attacking. They're tackling really well. They're making plays on the ball. So, um, you know, I think for the first time in a long time, you felt like, okay, you know, we got a pretty good pass rush. We didn't have to pressure every time to get a pass rush, so you were pleased to see that. Um, you know, but at the same time, again, on offense, it's like, okay, well, we need to protect a little better. So it's always kind of, uh, when you come out of spring, you feel that way a little bit, but, uh, was really pleased with the way our kids competed all spring and, um, makes you really excited about the off season. 82 to 73, the final. Now folks that don't know, you, you have a unique yeah. scoring yeah. for the spring game. And, and this is right. similar to what, uh, coach Napier did in his first year. And I remember being at that one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's maybe not something you do year to year, but this season, it made sense, and it adds, you know, and then, you know, the winners get the better meal. It adds an extra element of competition, right? It, it, it does. You know, I mean, and, and it's something that, you know, truthfully, I, I really like the scoring system because, uh, you know, as a program, and I think, you know, whether it's a football team you're trying to run or a company, you know, you, you preach and you try to teach that everything matters, right? And people say that all the time, and, you know, you constantly – Hey, you know, the little things matter. Well, the format allowed for every play to have points on the line. So even when you get into the the quarter, the live scrimmage part, the scoring system continued in place. So, you know, negative plays were positive points for the defense. Uh, Explosives were were more points for the offense. So it made every play and the execution of each play that much more important. So, yeah, I mean, you know, people look at the score and say, wow, well, is there any defense there? Well, yeah, I mean, heck, yeah, a lot of those points were defensive points. Um, you know, and, and, you know, if you sat out there and watched it, you'd probably say, well, you know, the defense maybe had a little bit better day, um, which, you know, I think over here that's we've prided ourselves on playing great defense, and that's certainly something that's not going to change here. So the scoring system just made it a lot of fun. Um, it just made the kids, you know, feel like they always had a chance to win the game, no matter what the situation was, no matter who had the ball. And um, that was the idea behind it, for sure. Well, it wouldn't be an interview if I didn't ask you about the quarterbacks. Ben Walrich, Chandler Fields, right. your thoughts on the two of them and the other guys that uh, they got some reps as well. You know, Ben, ben and Chandler, um, and really that whole room is so competitive, right? Uh you know, and I'll go down the list with, with the guys that really, you know, went through spring and, and got a lot of the reps. You know, the thing about Ben that, that you absolutely love is Ben does everything within the system exactly the way that you want, right? 
he's the guy that's up here every morning at seven o'clock when the coaches are coming in, watching tape, asking questions, wanting to meet. <clears throat> he's that guy. And, you know, you watched out there and, you know, after the, the spring game, everybody's like, well, I thought he's the guy who can't run. And it's like, well, I never said he can't run. He's maybe not quite as fast as some of the others, but Ben is a, is a great athlete too. Um, Ben and Chandler both started a little bit slow in the scrimmage part, but then once they got settled in, I mean, they were, they were really, really good. Um, you know, Chandler is, is a little different than Ben in that Chandler's the guy that he sees something out there and on the field, he'll make an adjustment on the move. You know I mean? He'll go out there, he'll signal fade to the X receiver down there in the red zone that you didn't practice yet and throw it for a touchdown, you know? So, He's that type of guy, and, and you love that part. They're, they're just both very different in that. Um, but they've both got the ability to make every throw, the mental capacity to do what we want them to do. Um, and, you know, I mean, the thing about it is, you know, you, you would hope that you could go through spring and come out of it and say, all right, well, this is the guy. This guy's the backup. But really, you know, day to day, one of them's better, has a better day, you know, on, on Tuesday, and the next one's better on Thursday. So, it's a it's a good thing for us the competition we have. Um, they're both so dang competitive that they won't give it up. And um, you know, I mean, it's just it's been fun to watch them compete. I mean, they're great kids too. They pull for each other, but they uh, you know that they're going to make this decision. They're going to make this thing come down to the wire, and they're going to really compete for this thing all the way through. Um, you know, Lance. You know, kind of started out with that second group. Um, Lance started out really hot, you know, in the, in the part of the scrimmage that was scripted and did a, an excellent job coming out of the gate. And then, you know, we got in the scrimmage part, it kind of, you know, got, got a little bit, got a little bit out of whack and, you know, kind of, you know, didn't have as good of a finish as you'd like. Um, you know, Lance is a guy that I think has just got tremendous talent, um, you know, gifted athlete. Um, and he's a kid who's really worked really hard at it this year. Um, I just think he's not quite as consistent as those other two yet. Um, you know, you go down Zai uh, McDonald. Zai is, is kind of like the other two, man. He's, uh, you know, he's locked in. He knows all the answers. He can tell you everything that's going on. You know, Zai missed a little bit of time in the offseason with the hamstring. Um, and physically, he's not quite as, you know, not quite as strong, quite as fast as those other guys. But Zai is a, is a really is a really good quarterback, too. Um, and then, you know, you go, you go to Zion, who you just get excited about Zion every time you kind of watch him out there as a, Basically, he's a senior in high school right now, right? Um, and to see him do the things that he does, you know, he makes a ton of mistakes. He's a freshman. I expect him to do that. If he didn't, you know, that would be a an anomaly. Um, but he is going to be – he's got the right type of disposition, the right type of demeanor. He listens. He's locked in. He's focused. He understands. He takes coaching really well. Um, you know, you, you're excited about that room. You know, I was going into it, um, and I certainly am even more excited about it now because uh, you just get, you got some really good kids in there that all have a lot of ability, and um, you know, it's going to be interesting in there for a long time because that, that's a that's a good room from top to bottom. 144 days from today, Louisiana kicks off the 2022 season, hosting Southeastern over. At Cajun Field, my last question, Coach, I know for a lot of fans, it's, okay, the spring game's over, and then they report to fall camp. But a whole lot happens between now and then. What phase is this for you, and what is next on your line of, uh, I guess, you know, as the head coach? What, what what do you do between now and the start of fall camp? 
Well, for us, you know, I mean, it's kind of never like one thing than the next. It's like you're constantly juggling and multitasking. Um, you know, we've been recruiting really hard to get good players on campus all spring, um, really every day of the week. Um, and we've done that. We've gotten, you know, we've had a ton of kids come through here. I mean, we had over 150 kids here on Saturday that are all, uh, you know, prospects in the state and within our local, within our footprint. Um, so, you know, we've been grinding away at recruiting, making sure we're doing evals, making sure we're, we're offering kids we need to, making sure we're getting to know the kids that we need to to figure out who we want to offer, who we're trying to make a part of this program. Um, right now, you know, the next, um, the rest of this week, the week we come back from spring break, it's going to be about us finishing really strong academically. Um, our kids have worked really hard this semester, um, and we've got some things fixed um, in the academic realm in the way that we want it set up. Um, so our kids have done a good job there. Got to finish strong with that. And then, uh, you know, our assistant coaches will be on the road recruiting in spring. Um, the NCAA does not allow the Division One head coaches to do that, which will certainly be uh, unique and different for me. Right. Um, so, you know, the way we do it is um, I'll kind of be in the office as these guys are out on the road. They're recruiting. They're going to get, you know, they're going to film guys that we have interest in while they're at practice they're going to send the film back in we'll watch it here and get more and more information um you know we're going to continue to evaluate um and we're going to continue to organize the boards and try to you know create priorities um you know some of them already are some of them you're still kind of figuring out where they fall on that list and you know prioritize it and we're going to keep recruiting really hard to keep putting together a good team here so you know it's academics and with our current team recruiting with the uh, next group that's coming up and then uh, essentially getting ready for, for the summer, for summer installs and summer, you know, player-led practices and, um, you know, uh, summer camps for recruits. Uh, you know, just a lot of different things kind of going on. But it's a, it's a fun time of year because, you know, you're kind of you're, – you're checking out, you know, what, what, what does it look like, what's coming in here next and kind of what's the next step. So it's, uh, it's always a fun time of year in the spring. Coach Michael Desimo has been our guest. That uh, clock never stops turning in the world of college football for the coaching staff and the head coach. Appreciate you joining us, uh, Coach. I'll talk to you. I'm not sure the next time we'll have you on, but at some point we need to catch up uh, maybe this summer or we'll have you on again and uh, we'll talk ball and maybe a couple other things. Maybe talk life too if you're down for it. Sounds good. It's always good to be on anytime. Just let me know and I'll be here. Thank you. Coach Michael Desimo has been our guest. All the best, Coach. Up next, Jay Walker in studio. A Terrible Tune Tuesday Hall of Fame induction. We'll talk Diamond Sports. Plenty to dig into. Don't go anywhere. The Great Scott Show continues after this on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.